0: Woot. Hey, how's it going tonight? Welcome to Element City Church. How's everyone doing? Woot. Awesome. We're doing well. And welcome to you uh, who are tuning in online at home. We're so grateful that you joined us as well, whether you're here on site or online. Uh, we just hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Had a wonderful time with family, had a wonderful time with friends. Um, so, yeah, hope you were blessed by having uh, some time off from work. Most of you, for those of you in retail, I'm sorry. That was my life for 10 years, I understand. So a couple things, if you're new with us, that we wanna make sure that you're aware of first and foremost, we've got a, an app, a church app that you can download. Uh, so it's the Element City Church app, that's on the Google Play Store, that's on the Apple App Store. Feel free to get that because that's gonna give you all the information so that you can get connected uh, to find out more about eGroups, to find out more about what we believe, what we're all about, if you wanna watch old sermons, if you wanna uh, find out the music that you hear here on stage and you wanna just worship uh, to one of those playlists, that's all available through the church So you can do that. Uh, Another spot in the app is the connection card. And so if you don't want to download the app right now, but you want to get connected better, uh, you can text into 520-340-6868 and just text in the word hello. Uh, When you do that, we're going to text you back. There's a little link. You just tap, fill out the information there. That'll get you connected as well. And if you do that, uh, take that back to the 10-minute party after service is done. Uh, We'd love to meet you. We've got a gift for you as well. We call this gift the best kettle corn. Say it with me. South of the Grand Canyon, that's right man, you guys are you getting this. We're all locked in now. The best kettle corn south of the Grand Canyon. So we'd be happy to share that with you as well. Um, and then real quickly, if you're at home or you're here in the room, if you didn't get a chance to pick up uh, one of the uh, little lunchable communion cups here, as Jack likes to call them, uh, we invite you to do that. They're in the back. If you're at home, uh, you can drive over real quick and pick one up if you want. You've got about probably an hour before we're gonna be partaking of that or just grab some Ritz crackers, whatever it is that you have at home. Uh, but we are gonna partake Communion tonight. We want to make sure that you're all prepared for that. Have that with you. So, let's all stand together. Uh, we're going to pray before we get started. We're going to worship in a few songs. Uh, we'll have a sermon and then worship again before we we get on out of here. Um, but we're just grateful that you're here to join us. Uh, as we pray, we're going to pray for the church of the week. And this week it's Redemption Tucson. Uh, so Redemption came out of Phoenix. They planted down here. Uh, I've got some great friends who went to uh, Redemption up in the Phoenix area. So uh, love this church. And we want to pray for their pastor pastor Dave Goffney as well. So join me in prayer. Father, thanks for this uh, this evening. Thanks for gathering us together that uh, as we do gather tonight, we get to join into the song that began this morning, the song that's actually been being sung all around the world now. uh, As this earth has been slowly spinning, the church has been waking up to bring you praise, and it's now our turn to get to do the same. That's what we get to do. We're joining into the song that's already being sung in heaven and we're excited for the work that you wanna do tonight. And so our prayer is that Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would just light this place uh, on fire for you that you would give us a heart for you, a passion for you, that as we worship, uh, that we would see you and, and experience your presence with us tonight. And we wanna lift up Redemption Church and the work that you're doing there. We wanna thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for even friends of Elements who uh, have moved on have started attending there and, and just love uh, what's going on there at that church. But we wanna lift up their pastor, Pastor Gothney and we wanna pray uh, your best over him, your anointing over him, that you give him all the vision and wisdom that he needs to lead that church within integrity. We want to pray that you would meet all of their needs financially, emotionally, spiritually, uh, just in every way. Would you allow that church to thrive where you've planted them here in Tucson to make an impact for the kingdom here in this city? God, uh, we as a church, we're not the only ones who are doing this work. We just get to do this all together. And we want to keep that in mind, God, that you're at work uh, here in this city in a powerful way. And so we get to join in that work now as we begin uh, to worship you through song. Would you allow that to continue as we worship you in the word and through the rest of this night. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church, let's see some hands.
1: Come on, let's worship God tonight. Rise, my soul. Arise, my soul. Remember this. He took my sin and he buried it. No longer I who lived now Jesus lives in me. For I was dead in sin, but I woke up, come on, to see the light. Save my soul, all health is lost to the grave. just be a testament, a testament of faith, Father, that we come before you, we give everything that we can. Well, at this time just be a time of worship, Father, all aimed at you, not the lights, not the sounds, Father, it doesn't matter. It's you in the presence of Jesus, and he's right in front of you. So I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life down before you. So I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life down is for you, Jesus. 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 Jesus, stir in our hearts during this time. We need you, Father. Would you meet us where we're at, Father? Would you speak clearly through the message tonight? God, we're so grateful for who you are. Our Messiah. We lay this all down before your feet father and we give you praise and thanks in jesus name amen you guys can take a seat
0: amen Well, i said at the beginning just want to make sure that we say it again i hope you all had a great thanksgiving had a wonderful time uh celebrating uh all the reasons that we have to be thankful Uh, I know we had a great time. My mom came down from Phoenix and she's still down here. She's here today. She was here this morning as I was speaking at Emmanuel as well. uh, Just giving that support that only a mom can the way that she does. So grateful for that. Grateful for the Nickums. We got to spend the holiday with them as well and their family. So it was really cool uh, to get to spend that time together. But tonight we're uh, finishing up, we're wrapping up our series that we've called The Stories of Jesus. And so we've been taking a look at some parables that Jesus told uh, to, to help us better understand what the kingdom of God is like, to understand what it is that God is asking for us and how he wants us to live. And uh, as we wrap things up tonight, uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark. So if you want to get there in the, the word, whatever uh, you've got, we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Uh, but as you get there, maybe you're going to be in the sermon notes following along. We've got that in uh, version. You can go to the Bible app and pull that up there and we'll have every. Uh, for you as well. Um, ultimately, a couple things that I want to point out. The first few weeks of this series, uh, we spent time in the book of Matthew. And we, uh, if we were to sum up each week, the first week we summed up, it's kind of, it was about obedience. Week two, we looked at the parable of the talents. It was about faithfulness. Last week, Jack spoke. It was uh, more than one word. We're going to call it persistence in prayer. That God wants us to be continually knocking on the door, that he stands waiting uh, to bless his people, and that he wants us to have that heart where we're dependent on him uh, to come through for us. And so tonight, if I were to sum this up, I'm going to sum it up in one word, uh, it would be gospel. It'd be good news. That's what the word gospel means. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the wicked tenants. Uh, That's kind of a a foreboding title. Uh, But the reason I wanted us to be in the book of Mark tonight is because uh, I mentioned the first couple weeks in the book of Matthew. Matthew was primarily writing to a Jewish audience. That's why Matthew includes the genealogy to to show us the lineage of Jesus. That mattered to a Jewish crowd. Uh, But the book of Mark is a little bit different. The book of Mark was written to, to a group of Gentiles. It was written to really to you and me today because we're not Jewish people. I don't know if you know that. Most of us are not. We don't have that in our heritage. Uh, And yet uh, the kingdom of God, the understanding all throughout the Old Testament was that the kingdom of God was only for his chosen people. And what we're going to see tonight is how Jesus, King Jesus, rides into Jerusalem, and he declares the kingdom of God is not just for the, the Jewish people any longer. The kingdom of God is for anyone and for everyone. And so Mark, uh, some fun facts about that. Uh, it was, it's kind of Peter's gospel. Mark was uh, Peter's buddy. He was his scribe. So uh, a lot of these thoughts, they're coming from Peter. Uh, and that's why Mark is just straight to the point. Mark is the shortest gospel. Mark is only 16 chapters long. But what's interesting about the book of Mark is that the first 10 chapters in, in, in that book, they cover the first three years of Jesus' ministry. And yet we get to this pivot here in chapter 11 when Jesus rides into Jerusalem as King Jesus and the last six chapters of the book are spent on the last week of his life before his crucifixion. Mark is saying this is a moment we were meant to linger in. And so tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to linger in this moment and see uh, what's taking place here. And it's a little bit different in the sense that uh, tonight isn't necessarily about, uh, here's a couple of funny stories, here's some stories about Lyle's life, here's some points of application. Tonight, we're just going to let the text speak for itself. We're going to cover quite a bit, but I think that seeing this narrative as it plays out is important, and I think it's powerful. And so I want Jesus to tell his own story as we look into his word, and ultimately there's two questions that I want us to answer tonight, and I don't know if you've ever asked these questions. One of them you probably have, but another one, uh, I brought it up. I never thought about it until I had heard this uh, presented by Ben Stewart. If you don't know who Ben Stewart is, he's a wonderful teaching pastor out of Passion City Church in uh, Washington, D.C., but he, he, he... Taught this passage, and he said there's two questions that we need to answer as we look into it. The first question is this Why did people want Jesus to die? Have you ever thought about that? Why did people want Jesus dead? It's one thing for Jesus to say some things that aren't popular, that maybe some people would disagree with that and you might dislike a person for those things. We understand that in today's day and age where things are so politically charged that you might hear something from the other side and you're just like, I disagree with that and I really don't care for that person. But what is it about Jesus and what he's saying that it goes beyond that? Think about it. What would it take? What would someone have to do for you to get such darkness in your heart that you want them dead, that they have to die? That they can no longer exist on this earth because what they've done is so divisive and so upsetting to you. That's dark, isn't it? But we also wanna look at the other side of that. What was it that Jesus said that not only inspired people to have this deep hatred for him, but what was it about Jesus that also created such a deep devotion to him? What did he say that caused people to die for him And for people to say, I'm willing to lay it all down. I'm going to give everything for him. This passage is gonna answer that for us as we look through it. So let's uh, start in Mark chapter 11 again, the way that Mark 11 starts. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem, they're quoting Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus, when he arrives to Jerusalem, the first thing he does is he goes to the temple. But the text tells us that it was late at night. So he just kind of takes note of what's going on in the temple. And then he goes back to Bethany with his disciples. And that's where we start here in Mark ch- uh, chapter 11, verse 12. It says, "On the." Far following day when they came from bethany he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf he this being jesus went to see if he could find anything on it when he came to it he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs and he said to it may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard it kind of an interesting start to life right with king jesus king jesus arrives on the scene you're probably just like lyle that's confusing the first thing that king jesus does is he curses a tree That, like, what's going on here? That doesn't really play well with the environmentalists, does it? Why does Jesus hate trees? And what we see is through the Old Testament, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Micah, Hosea, when they would refer to the the people of God, the nation of Israel, there are two metaphors that were frequently used. First, they were called a vineyard, but secondly, they're also called a fig tree. Because figs, uh, the fig tree, when it would start to blossom, all these leaves would be on it and there are these buds of fruit that as these buds of fruit would be growing, you could take them before they're even fully ripe and you could eat them and they would provide good food for you. Uh, And so the the fig tree was a sign of blessing. There would be lots of figs, they would be in abundance. And let's be honest, figs, they pair well with a newton, right? Pretty good. And so the, the fig tree was a picture of a nation under the blessing of God. And yet you would get these devastating texts in the Old Testament. Texts like in Jeremiah eight thirteen, 13, where uh, it says, When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Or Micah 7, verses 1 and 2 says, Woe is me, for I've become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat. There's no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among mankind. What's Jesus' issue? He sees leaves, but he sees no fruit. This tree, he pronounces judgment on it because it has the appearance of fruitfulness, but in reality, there's absolutely no life in it. And so Jesus continues on. The disciples take note of that. And in verse 15, we see Jesus arrives to the temple. And we talked about this in week one, so we're not gonna belabor uh, too many of these points. Uh, But what does Jesus do in the temple? He goes to cleanse out the temple. And so a little bit of background about the temple at that point in time. Uh, The temple was huge. It was this massive structure that was the social, the political, the economic, and the religious center of the nation of Israel. There is nothing like that in America today. It would be like if we were to take Wall Street and combine it with the Capitol building, and then maybe uh, like a football stadium when it's packed full uh, of people that are just going crazy. That's what it would be like. And the outer area of this temple was called the Court of the Gentiles. And it was this place where those who weren't Jewish could go and experience God. It was the only place in the temple they were allowed to go, but they could go in, they could pray to God, they could see who God is and experience him as they prayed to him. But what we know from the text is that Jesus appeared the day before and he knew what was going on. And so a couple things about Jerusalem. Back in, uh, uh, gosh, about AD 30, what we find out is that the Jewish leaders realized that people during Passover, they would make this pilgrimage from wherever they lived in the area. And they would all journey toward the temple because they wanted to bring their sacrifices for the year to the priests. The priests would make the sacrifices for them so that they could seek atonement, that they could be made right with God once again. And so on the way, they would stop at the Mount of Olives olives, traditionally, and that's where they could buy their oil, they could buy their salt, they could buy the animals that they needed to present their sacrifices. But the Jewish leaders, Caiaphas and his his folks, basically made this decision around AD 30, hey, what if we were to bring all that in-house? Think about all the money that we could make. Instead of them stopping at the Mount of Olives, it's even more convenient. So when they show up, we've got all the animals there. We've got all the oil. We've got all the salt. And not only that, uh, they can't pay with their normal currency. They have to make sure they're paying with the temple money, which means we can get the money exchangers here so that they can change out the money. And now people have to pay the temple tax. And so folks, uh, basically at this point, uh, they can get everything they need, but they can get it at quite a cost. And Josephus, the historian, told us this, that during Passover, it wasn't uncommon for about two million Jewish people to make their way to Jerusalem. That's a lot of people. Like you think about the population of Tucson, that's twice Tucson packed into this area here that's the size of about five football fields. And so this weekend was Black Friday. How many of you braved the crowds and made it out to the retail stores? Anybody? Anybody? Right, I only see a few hands. Like we've learned that Black Friday is madness. We don't want to deal with that anymore. You can get the same deals online usually. And so for us as a family, uh, we had to go to the Apple store Friday morning because my wife had an issue with her phone. Don't worry. We had an appointment. I know how the system works. It was okay. We got right in. We got out, uh, which was a shocker to me. It was really surprising. And yet an hour after we leave, uh, gosh, there was just a line outside of the store already. You all understand it. You, you understand what it's like. But I want you to picture in your mind, picture a Costco on Black Friday. Costco's huge. It's massive. How many of you don't even like to go to Costco at any point in time? Because the amount of people that are there, it's just insanity, right? It is absolutely crazy. Now picture Black Friday, those sorts of crowds. All of these people crammed into this space and add GOATS. That's the picture of the temple. And so as Jesus comes in, this place that was meant to be a place of prayer, a place where those like you and me, those who weren't Jewish, could experience God, the only place where we could do so. And it's chaos. They can't do it. And so Jesus comes in. We know this. He has a whip. Uh, he just goes in and he starts cracking the whip and he's driving all the people out. And as he's doing it, he's quoting scripture to chide the religious leaders. And so he's quoting Isaiah 56 My house was supposed to be a house of prayer. And then he switches to quoting Jeremiah 7. He says, But you've made this place into a den of robbers. What was Jesus' issue with the temple? He saw leaves but he didn't see any fruit. There was all of this religious busyness that was going on, but there was no prayer. There was no heart in it. And so it's easy to listen to a story like that. Here we are in America. We just, we want to know what kind of fruit does God want? What is the fruit that God's asking to see from us? And we start thinking, gosh, I got to start doing these things. And so I need to pray more and I need to make sure I read the Bible more. And, oh, I need to make sure I give something to every homeless person that I ever run into. And I need to make sure that, Uh, and it's just, it's this list of do this, do this, do this, do this. And yet the fruit, notice the fruit that Jesus is saying that God delights to see in his people is not religious busyness. It's the heart. And you think about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? We know this from Galatians. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when you think about those things, it's fascinating. How many of those words are verbs? One. The rest of them are not. The only verb there is love. The only action we can take is to love. And yet if you look at the rest of those, what are they? They're the byproduct of how we live our lives. What Jesus is saying is it's about the heart. It's about what motivates us, what drives us forward. It's not about religious busyness. It's not about just checking off some boxes so that we can look loving and that we can look gentle and we can look kind and we can look like we have self-control. No, it's I see my King and I wanna worship Him with the way that I live my life. And the things that I do, I want them all to reflect the love that the Savior has shown to me. And I want that to be an outpouring in my life into other people's lives so that they can experience what I've experienced. And what Jesus is saying, think about this. It's about the heart. Who prays? Who prays? It's the people who understand their dependence is on God's presence. They say, I'm in need, and I know that God is here, and he's awesome, and I'm going to worship him. Jesus looks at the temple. He sees all the trappings of religiosity, but he sees no heart. And so if you're one of the religious leaders at the time, what is it that you do in this moment? What do you do? You see this man come into the temple, he challenges you, he chides you, what do you do? Let me tell you what they did. And this is what, uh, we'll start actually, what they should have done. What should they have done? First, they should have remembered uh, the the few verses at the beginning of Malachi chapter 3. Keep in mind, these religious leaders, they would have had the Torah memorized. They would have known the entire Old Testament by heart. And they should have remembered Malachi 3, where it says the one to come would be like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. What's fuller's soap? I had to look this one up too, because I was like, I don't know what that is. So I Googled it, a fuller's soap. If you wanted to dye cloth, and you wanted to get a good color of dye into that cloth, you had to take a special kind of soap and scrub these garments so that they would be perfectly white, perfectly clean. And once they were perfectly... Washed in that way, they could dye it and it would actually take in the, the dye the way that it was meant to. Scripture told these religious leaders this would happen. They should have remembered Zechariah 14, which ends by saying there'd be no more trading in the temple on the day that the Messiah comes. And they should have said, This is what we've been waiting for. This is what the scripture said would happen. That's what they should have said. And they should have bowed before their king and said, You tell us what to do, O sovereign. But instead, we see what they did in verse 18. How did they respond? They were seeking a way to destroy him. He's a threat to us. He's a threat to our economic security, to our leadership. He's a threat to our status. And so they wanted him dead. They figured we have to get this guy out of the picture so that we can maintain what we already have. And so you might think, Lyle, uh, why didn't they just, they're the leaders of the nation. Why didn't they just take him? Why didn't they seize him and do whatever they needed to do? But what we see is Jesus was so good at speaking that he had the crowds on his side. And Jesus is only speaking in public places. And so the religious leaders know that they can't just go seize him because if they were to do that, they would have a riot on their hands. They would have people just totally rising up. And once again, they would lose their status. They would lose the respect of the people. And so Jesus goes home that night, untouched. Goes back to Bethany with his disciples. And it's interesting, we'll just go through this part real quickly, you get to verse 20 as they're going back to the temple the next day. And uh, they point out the fig tree and the fig tree's withered from its root. And uh, interestingly enough, this is the only destructive miracle that Jesus performed in all of the gospels that we know of was to destroy this fruit tree. And, And the reason for that we'll see in a little bit here. Once again, this represents the temple. This tree, that it withered from the root, why? Because the way to get to Jesus was no longer through the old ways of religiosity or the way to get to the father wasn't through the ways of religiosity. The way to get to the father was through Jesus and Jesus alone. The temple no longer held the significance that the temple had once held foreshadowing all the stuff that's to come. And so we're going to skip to verse 27 here. Uh, This is where the Sanhedrin comes. They challenge Jesus' authorities. And the Sanhedrin was made up of Pharisees, of Sadducees, and of the scribes. And so they go to Jesus. And again, these are the religious leaders. These are the ones who have the authority over the temple. And so they go to him and say, who gave you the authority to do all of this? Which again, we said this the first week. What they're basically saying is, who do you think you are? You're just a carpenter from Nazareth. We didn't authorize you. And so this is a tense moment, and Jesus responds by asking them a brilliant question. He asks them, was the baptism of John, was that from heaven or was that from man? And you look at the way that the, the leaders, uh, when they're confronted by this question, the way that they uh, analyze it, they recognize, well, gosh, we can't say that the baptism was from heaven because if it came from God, Jesus is just going to call us out and wonder why we didn't believe the words that John spoke. But we can't say that John's baptism was from man, because if we say that, all of the people know that John was a prophet. This man spoke the words of God. And so if we go against him, the crowds are going to turn on us and they're going to want to kill us. But we got to kill this guy. What do we do? And so they just answer Jesus, I don't know. We don't know. We don't know where it came from. And that's where Jesus responds. Then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do any of this. And so there's something really important for us to notice right here. I want you to see this, that never once in their analysis of the situation do the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees ask the question, what is true? They're not looking for truth. They don't care what's true. All they care about is maintaining their status and maintaining who they are, all their authority. They want to look good in front of the people. That's all they care about. And what we see here is that that Jesus, He just doesn't have time for that. And people do this all the time today. We still see this all the time. You can talk about the authority of scripture, and people, they might have read a book at some point in time. They're like, oh well, all that stuff changed in like what, the third century? And it's like, who told you that? We've got documents older than the third century. Like none of that changed. We've got stuff that confirms that the Bible says what it said. Where did you hear that? A little some guy or like some book, right? That's already been discredited. But the reality is what? We believe really anything that we hear so long as it confirms what it is that we want to believe. That's why you read the books that you usually read, right? There's something that you believe and you want to confirm the reason you believe that. And so you go deeper into that. Social media knows this. that's why they put what they put up on our screens is to make sure that we can see things in an echo chamber to just continue to confirm what it is that we want to believe already. And yet, what we see in Jesus' response, that these, these leaders have no interest in truth, and because of that, what we see is Jesus. He doesn't respect that lack of sincerity. He's not willing to answer the question because these guys don't care what the answer to the question actually is. All they're trying to do is maintain their authority, maintain the status quo. And so Jesus is just saying, if you're not looking for truth, I'm not going to argue it because the hardening of your heart just leads to darkness. For Jesus here, it wasn't an issue of authority. It's an issue of obedience. The religious leaders weren't interested in God. They were just interested in doing whatever it is that they wanted to do. And that's when we get to this parable here. And so here's, here's the parable that we want to focus on tonight in Mark chapter 12, verse 1. So Jesus launches into this story and he sits down when a rabbi was about to give a lesson that was important. Rabbis typically would sit down. So we know Jesus sat down and it says in verse 1, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower. And leased it to tenants and went to another country. And so we could look at that. We could analyze what all those things mean. It's symbolic. It does mean something. You've got this uh, fence that's around it and a tower that's meant to be the protection that the owner uh, has provided for the vineyard. uh, Digging the pit for the wine presses so the juices from the grapes could flow. The point of all that is this. The owner of this vineyard has done everything that it needs for it to be successful. And all of this wording that we've gotten, just in one verse already, this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 5. That was called the song of the vineyard. And, and there was this passage where Isaiah talked about God, how he delighted in the people of Israel. And Israel was this vineyard that he set up to be a nation where he would bless them. Verse 2 says, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some fruit of the vineyard. That's a very normal thing. That's a very reasonable thing for the owner to do. These folks are running the vineyard and he wants to see how they're doing. So you send a servant when it's the right season to try it out and taste some of the fruit and see what's coming out of this vineyard. It's a normal thing to happen. Verse three, and they took him and they beat him and sent him away empty handed. Now at this point, everyone would be wanting to know what is the owner of this vineyard going to do? I don't know if any of you who rent a place. Next time your landlord comes over, just slap them around a little bit and send them on their way with nothing. See how that works out for you. I'll tell you what would happen in these days if you were one of these smaller nations that was to pay tribute to the bigger vassal nations and you were to do this type of thing, they would send in the armies and they wouldn't just kill you to destroy you. They would literally burn everything down to the ground and they would sow salt into the soil so that nothing would ever grow there again. And so these folks are wondering, what does the owner of the vineyard do? Verse 4, again, he sent to them another servant, and they that's unbelievable, unbelievable. He sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others. Some they beat, some they killed. Now, if you haven't picked up on it, maybe you're sitting there like, why are we talking about gardening tonight? This is actually a story that sums up the entire Old Testament. And it's foreshadowing what Jesus is about to do. You see, God created Israel. We talked about in Isaiah 5 that the, the nation of Israel was God's vineyard. He did everything for them to be successful. And yet what happened? The people of Israel continually rebelled against God. And God, the the servants that the owner sends, this represents the prophets. God would send his people to be uh, his mouthpiece, to bring his words to them, to call them into repentance and to come back to relationship with him. And yet, if you look at the life of every single one of the prophets, I think maybe with with the exception of Elijah, every single one of the prophets is killed or they're dragged away to exile and shame. They treated the prophets shamefully. God consistently was sending his people. And so what do we see about the owner in this passage? We see an owner who's incredibly patient. And we know from scripture, God is patient with his people. Why? Because he desires that all people would come to repentance. That all people would come to know him. But what we see is this. Let's keep going. It says in verse six, he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Immediately we see their motivation. It's just selfishness and greed, isn't it? They recognize, oh man, this is the the heir, this guy. Like when the owner dies, if there's no one else to take it over, just from squatters rights alone, like this place will become ours. So what do they do? We see that in verse eight. And they took the son and they killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And Jesus finally asks the question, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture and then Jesus quotes Psalm 18, the same psalm that was quoted at the beginning of the week as he wrote into Jerusalem. He says this The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Don't miss this. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that God will destroy the wicked religious leaders and the son that they killed that they disrespected and rejected. That stone will become the cornerstone. It will be the foundation of a whole new temple that God will build for his glory. And we talked about the fig tree that had withered. It withered at the root. Why? Because the temple was no longer necessary. Because as the sun died and as the sun was sacrificed, what happened? All the sins were paid for, we know this. If you know how the the Jewish religion worked, the reason we kind of referenced this earlier, the reason during Passover that they would come to prevent the sacrifices is because to pay for their sins, something had to die, blood had to be spilled, And it would make atonement for the sins that had been committed. But because these sacrifices, they weren't perfect, they still had blemishes themselves. And because people would go and continue to sin, this system just had to continue to happen. And what happened? It wasn't working. People's hearts were hardened and they were far from God. The temple, the place where the people, all people were supposed to come and experience the goodness of the Father. They couldn't do it anymore. And Jesus cut that off and said, there is a new system and that new system is in me. You come to me, you look at me and see what I do and do the things that I did and you'll see the Father. You'll experience the Father and you will have a life in you that you never thought you could experience before. You see, that's the gospel message. That's the good news is that we had a sin problem. God made creation. He made all things. He said it was good. That's where the gospel begins, that all things were good. But then the fall happened. There was a sin problem, and that sin had to be taken care of. And so Jesus presents himself forward. We know this, that at the end of this week, Jesus is going to take all of these sins upon himself, and he will die for them. Why? Because he is the perfect and the spotless sacrifice to where no other sacrifice would ever be needed again but he didn't just stay dead in that moment. We know that three days later, he rose again. He conquered death so that he could give us life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. This is what Jesus is saying is about to happen in this parable. But look at, at the, the end of this uh, section here in verse 12. How did the leaders respond? It says that they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. That's significant. That's a significant thing here. uh, Because you might have heard that story and been like, I just thought it was about a bunch of trees in a garden. And if you missed it, whenever you read this passage before, let me tell you, these guys didn't. They knew that Jesus was talking about them. And so what's interesting is we're going to skip over this section here, but verses 13 through 37, uh, the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, they realize if we can't kill Jesus, maybe we can embarrass him. So let's come up with some tough questions to see if we can embarrass him, and maybe we'll ask some, the, the right question that will trip him up enough to where he'll say something blasphemous. And if he says that, then we can finally have him arrested, and then we can finally kill him and it's fascinating. I I just, I encourage you, we don't have time to do it tonight, but during sometime this week, please, read through this passage and read through it with uh, Dr. Constable's Bible notes or something to tell you what's actually going on here. Because the Pharisees, right, there's three different aspects of the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees come first, and they ask him a question about taxes, and Jesus, in his response, it's brilliant, and he shames them. They just look foolish, and so they kind of go away with their tails between their legs. And then the Sadducees come to Jesus, and the Sadducees Uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They read the Old Testament very literally. And if you read very literally in the Old Testament, there's not much reference uh, to this idea of resurrection. That's why they didn't believe in it. And so they come up with this laughable situation where there's a a woman who marries a brother and then that brother dies. And because of the way that the religion worked, that uh, the the widow shouldn't be dishonored by not having an heir. So the next brother up is supposed to marry her. Well, that happened seven times. And then they ask this question. But first of all, like if you get to like brother number three, like is she taking insurance out on these guys? What's going on? Like at that point, CSI needs to come onto the case because there's something weird here. And and Jesus in his response to them when they say, "Well, who's gonna be uh, her her husband in the resurrection?" And Jesus uses the tense of a verb by saying that that uh, God said, "I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am." That's a present tense verb. How can he presently be the Lord of people who are dead if they're just dead? He uses this tense of a verb to embarrass them. And so they go away with their tails between their legs. And the interesting one is the scribe, because this scribe, the last one who comes to challenge Jesus, really comes with more of an open heart. And he asks, hey, sum up the law for me. There's 613 commandments. Which one's the most important? That's a common question that the scribes would ask a rabbi. And it's fascinating. uh, uh, and historically, there was never a rabbi who ever summed the law up with these two commands until Jesus did. And he said, the two commands are this, that matter the most. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe in that moment is just like, he's right. That's really good. He's right. And because of his response, Jesus even says, we see it in Mark in that section, The kingdom of God is not far from you. He knew this man was on the right path. Why? He was the only one who came to him honestly, sincerely, wanting an answer. But we get to verse 38, and Jesus says he's wrapping up this day in the temple it says this, in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for pretense, they make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And it's so funny. How many of you have heard the, uh, just someone who doesn't like church, and they're just like, oh, it's just full of hypocrites? How many of you have heard that? For people uh, who don't like the church because they reject hypocrites, they're about 2, 000, their rejection of hypocrites is about 2,000 years later than Jesus's. And so fascinating enough, they don't want to follow Jesus because the people who follow Jesus are hypocrites. If they were in that situation and stormed out of the room, they would have been storming out in the footsteps of Jesus. They would have been following Jesus. These are harsh words from the Savior because Jesus has no patience for people who just do worship services and they quote bible and they do all the religious stuff but at the end of the day all they care about is themselves but we contrast that in verse 41 and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box many people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny And he called his disciples to him and said, truly, I say to you. Anytime Jesus says that, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say to you, if you're reading one of the older translations, Jesus is saying, watch this. This is important what it is that I'm about to say. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What's the difference between the religious leaders and the widow? The religious leaders, they pursued fame, they pursued wealth, they pursued their fortune, they pursued their status, and what did it do? It left them either wanting more of it or it left them trying to protect what it is that they had already put together for themselves. There was no joy there, there was no happiness, there was no peace. How many of you, this is true of us today? where we continue to pursue fame. Maybe we're pursuing our career. We're pursuing uh, making sure that we have enough to provide for our family. And it becomes this idol. It becomes this well that we continually dig into and dig into deeper and deeper. And when we get to the bottom, we find that it's empty. And we find that we don't have any peace. The widow... We contrast that to the religious leaders. She trusted everything that she had to God. That was the difference between her and these leaders. She comes humble. She comes dependent. She comes worshiping. And the interesting thing, she may not have had the big flashy leaves on her fig tree, did she? But that was a life that had fruit. Why? Because of that dependence on God. And what we see in all this text is this. We've covered, I don't know if you know this, we've just covered about 55 verses. But what we see in the text is this. Jesus rides into town. He goes to the temple. He has no patience for religion that's external and does church things. And yet at the end of the day, what's in those people's hearts is just that they, they're going to go do whatever they want. He has no patience for those who blow off the deep and the searching questions uh, about religion and about our significance and our worth and about who created things and holds those things together. He doesn't have any patience for those who aren't really searching for the truth. But what he does want is he wants people who are honestly searching and seeking the truth. And so if that's you today, if you're here and you're just searching, you're like, what's true? I want to know what truth is. Look no further than the person of Jesus. He's patient with you. He's kind. He receives you with open arms. And so Jesus comes and he says this. He's basically saying, At the end of the day, do you know what it is that I want? It's not sacrifices, it's not money, it's not songs. If you don't mean them, don't sing them. I want your heart. He says, I want you to love me with all that you have. I want that kind of fruit, that you would listen to the words of God, that you would seek him, because as you do that, you'll find me. You'll see a Jesus, if you do that, who's powerful and yet he's gentle. Who wants you to commit your life to him so that he can care for you. And when you realize that that's the kind of leader that we're talking about, this King Jesus, not just the gentle and lowly Jesus, but the King Jesus who has authority, who astounds people with the answers to their questions. When you see the kind of leader we're talking about, the one who will lead you and yet love you. Your King who created you, but he doesn't try to dominate you. He sets you up to succeed and he loves you that he sends his son to die for you, that son then rises to build a whole new church, a new uh, group of people, that's us today, that you can go flee to, that you can run to, to find the support, the hope, everything that you need to live this life when you realize that that's the kind of king that we're talking about, that he's humble yet gentle, humble and powerful. He's meek and he's mighty. You realize that he's worth giving everything for. He's worth giving everything for. And so uh, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes uh, as we finish up. Uh, We've got the elements for communion. And so if you don't have that with you, if you need to to get up and and get some more of that, uh, Jack's gonna be walking around the room so you can just kind of uh, raise your hand and he'd be happy to get that to you. But what better way to wrap this up? We've heard the gospel message. We know the gospel message is that, that Jesus came to topple this system of religiosity and to create a whole new religion where he wants our heart. We wanna stop and remember uh, what Jesus did for us on the cross as we take of the elements. And so I'm gonna pray. Father, thanks for tonight. Thanks for this, um, this passage in scripture. I love this week. I love what it is that you did here. How powerful is it just for us uh, to see you as you're taking authority and as you are showing people what you are all about? And yet we live in this world where so many of us just seek thing after thing after thing and and we pursue the career. Maybe we pursue uh, the money. Maybe we pursue building up this perfect lifestyle with the perfect family and the perfect size television and the perfect size house so we can drive the perfect car. And at the end of the day, it's all fruitless. At the end of the day, it leads us digging into a well that still leaves us thirsty. And yet Augustine of Hippo in his book, uh, Confession said, that our soul is restless until it finds its rest in you. My prayer is that tonight, if there's anyone in this room who is tired of that restlessness, would this be the moment that Jesus, that they would say yes to you that maybe they don't understand it all, they don't get what what it is that you fully are asking of them, but through faith that they would take the step to say, I want this in my life. This man has the words of life and I wanna know more about it. And I wanna pattern myself and I wanna throw myself into this. I promise you that's where life is found. That's the difference between all other religions and Christianity is that every other religion, if they even believe in a God, you have to work your way up to this God with your own actions. And yet we serve a creator who saw our inability to do that. And so he came down to us and he lived a life that we could never live so that we could be back in relationship with him. He loves you and he wants your heart. And so if you've never made that decision, uh, I invite you to come see me after uh, this is done, after we finish praying. I'd love to pray with you and figure out what next steps can look like so that you can understand who this Jesus is and understand his teachings and what it is he wants of you. And for those of you who already know him, maybe tonight's a call uh, like it was for me. I look at a passage like this and I recognize that uh, I probably more closely align with the religious leaders than I do with the widow. That it's so easy to get the trappings of religiosity and to pray the prayers and to read the book and to do the thing. And yet our heart is hardened and we've stopped hearing from God. And so God, would you just soften our hearts tonight As we take this moment to remember what you did for us on the cross, your word tells us uh, that as you sat with the disciples that you broke the bread and you said, this is my body broken for you. Now every time that we eat, we do it in remembrance of you. And then you held up a cup of wine and you said, this was my blood that's poured out for you. Every time you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. We remember what you did for us, Jesus. And as you uh, bring that to our hearts and to our minds, would you soften our hearts to receive the word that you have for us tonight, that we would respond to you in faith in the way that you desire that we would. And so God, speak to us in this moment, move in this moment in power. We love you, we trust you We ask you, would you have your way now? Would you have your way?
1: tonight out Let's sing this song and make it a declaration over our week. So I lift my hands up in my whole life down, my whole life down before you. I lift my hands up in my whole Lift my hands up, lay my hold.
2: longs for your heart, for my heart. That's when he looks for. That's why Jesus came. As Lyle said, it's just, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus thought you were worth pursuing. And so he comes and he longs to give you his heart in exchange for you to have a heart and have a relationship with Him. And so if you are here tonight or if you're tuning in online and you want to know more about that, invite you to see Lyle back at the 10-minute party or come see myself or uh, just put a comment on and we'll reach out to you or send us a DM online. We'd love to connect with you about that. That's a big deal for you to make a decision to say yes to Jesus. And we want to celebrate that with you. And so, friends, we are honored to have you here on Thanksgiving. week. Weekend. This has been uh, a great time together in worship tonight. And as we get ready to move toward Christmas, I just want to highlight a couple things. Uh, first off, just thank you for all of you who partner with us. Uh, financially, we don't pass a plate around here. We just invite folks to either give online. Most folks do that. We have a couple offering boxes in the back if you want to be a financial partner with us. And we always say it takes real money to do real ministry and to accomplish everything that our church is trying to do and to fulfill the mission. Uh, to. really reach and equip and descend and to, to be a light here in this city. And so you can partner with us that way. As we move toward Christmas, I invite you next week, we start our Christmas series, the gift of Christmas, looking at the gift of who Jesus is as we kind of make our way toward Christmas Eve together. So highlighting real quick next week, kind of a normal Sunday, December 12th, we're going to have a normal service here, but then we're also going to go walk through winter Haven. So if you want to walk through with a group of people on December 12th, Winter Haven is back uh, this year, so we're excited for that. Uh, And there's going to be a group of people that kind of travel through. We've got like orange glow bands for you, and we'll have a good time with that. December 19th, uh, normal service, but then right afterwards we're doing kind of a Christmas edition after party with cookie decorating for kids, hot cocoa. We'll get fire pits and s'mores and stuff right out here in the courtyard. So, And then December 24th, that's Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock with Emmanuel Baptist Church and elements combining. You can pick either service. They'll be identical. Uh, You can join us for that. December 26th, we're inviting you to take a Sabbath Sunday with us. We will not be here in person, but not to worry. Uh, We will pre-record a service. We'll all watch it together at five o'clock online, but we want to enjoy a Sabbath Sunday with your family on that Sunday. So Be here Christmas Eve, uh, that type thing. All right, so that's a lot of info, All of this information is in your app, and we will let you know about that. If you are brand new with us tonight, uh, we'd love to meet you at a 10-minute party right after here. It lasts 10 minutes, Uh, and we got free popcorn for you if you're new. If you're not new, hang out. Say hi to a few folks. We've got a few folks going out to dinner afterwards. You can ask around where that is. We'd love to have you join. Cereal Grillers is where we're heading, so you can uh, join us there for that. But uh, let me pray us out. God, we, we pause this Thanksgiving weekend to remember with incredible gratitude the heart of your son Jesus who pursues us gives us his heart his very life so that we can find life in him we want to rally around that as a church and so would you continue to help us as your people to live like Jesus lived and to live like he continues to live Would you go with us now from this place and allow us to enjoy the celebration leading up to Christmas. We remember the incredible gift that you provided in your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We'll see you next week.